Hello and welcome to this episode of Ofsted Talks. This week we're going to talk about illegal schools. Yeah, that's right. Ofsted has had an illegal schools team since 2016. And I'm going to talk to one of our inspectors who has been on that team since the beginning about what it's like to turn up and knock on the door of these places and what we find. And later in the podcast, I have a really interesting chat with Catherine from our policy team, who talks more about what new powers we need to get to make those inspections more effective. But first, let's get a bit of history and background from Ofsted's Chief Operating Officer and Deputy Chief Inspector, Matthew Coffey. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Hi, Anna. Uh, Yeah, I'm Matthew Coffey. I'm Ofsted's Chief Operating Officer um, and I'm the Deputy Chief Inspector for Amanda. That's great. Um, So can you just talk to me a little bit about how and when this issue of illegal schools was first brought to Ofsted's attention? Uh, Okay, well, that's a good question. Um, And and I'm I'm not sure there's a real precise answer because actually in the legislation, um, there's always been an issue of an acknowledgement that unregistered schools exist. But pre-2016, we used to wait until the Department for Education would commission us to go in and, and do an inspection of a suspected illegal school. But it was in, in 2016 where the chief inspector of the time recognised that there was a, an increase in those commissions from the Department for Education. And more and more Ofsted was getting uh, intelligence directly that illegal schools were operating, that we worked with the department to, to set up a team that would really respond to what we saw was a, a, a growing notification of, of unregistered schools. And so it, I, I think the imprecise answer is 2016, but it's always been an issue prior to that. OK, thank you. And we've got a number of settings, haven't we, we've investigated since that time. I've got the number here as 850, which is, you know, a significant number, really, when you think about it across those years. Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember back in 2016 uh, where you know within the first few months of setting up uh, a relatively small team within Ofsted mm. to look at this issue we we were we, we started to talk about the Tippenberg and within the first few months we had about 56 uh, potential unregistered schools that were on our case list and, mm. and more and more kept coming and, and ever since that time you know, uh, th- th- there's just a-, a lot of notifications about potential unregistered schools coming from a lot of very concerned people. So, mm. you know, it's really good that people have got their radar tuned into the-, the damage that unregistered schools can do and they want us to do something about it. Yeah, great. That's really useful. We're, we're going to hear a little bit more about that later in the podcast, aren't we, when Sue will discuss the process for for investigating um and i guess actually let's go right back to basics a little bit before we dive into more detail what is an illegal school for the listeners out there yeah hopefully and unhelpfully the definition of an illegal school is set out in legislation and it talks about you know if there are more than five children being given a broad education or if one of those children you only have to have one ch- child actually if it's a looked after child or or a child on some kind of support plan that would take us into the realm of being an unregistered school well why i say it's a double edged sword because that definition of a broad education allows some people 
to kind of wriggle out of the, that legislative uh, definition by saying, actually, we're not offering a broad education. We're offering a very, very narrow education. Mm. And, and we do find ourselves in, in some frustrating legal debates uh, mm. that have actually exposed to us that the legislation is imprecise, actually. It's too broad, and we really want it to be a bit more focused to get those people that are kind of surfing on the edge of what's right and what's wrong. And, and that frustrates us, if I'm honest. Yeah, no, that's a helpful, helpful outline. You've talked about the damage that those schools do. Why should we be concerned about them? Oh, listen, in, in my time in Ofsted, I've been into a good number of, of these places. And, and really, you know, I, I, it doesn't, there's not many things that shock me, mm. but I have been shocked in unregistered schools. I mean, they are filthy, uh, yeah. the ones I've been in. Uh, that They really are uh, very disorganised. Nobody knows who the staff are that are teaching these children. Nobody knows because nobody's checked. Nobody's done any of the DBS checking. They could be absolutely anybody and they could be teaching anything, you know, so not to any kind of curriculum that we would understand, mm. you know, stuff that people have just made up. And, and of course, we all know the power of education is that, you know, adults, generally professionally qualified adults are imparting important information in a structured way to children. You know, that that's all out of the window in unregistered schools. They're getting, you know, taught anything. And, and, and actually, in some of these places, parents are paying good money for it as well mm. i mean it's just wrong mm. on so many levels yeah there's absolutely that bit of would you want this for your own children and i imagine some of the things you've exactly. seen really do question that um, and yeah and, and the, these these children you know uh, they've been taken generally out of some kind of good mainstream education to to be educated in a way that the parents are told is the best way to educate children and you know some of it is with good intent and don't get me wrong there's not just this world is just not full of 100 percent bad people there are there are some people that are trying to do a really good job but they just don't get it right and we need to you know hold them to account some people just didn't realize and recognize that they needed to be registered and you know they they've they, they've been given the opportunity they register and they become you know very good schools in the future but i'm afraid that is the exception rather than the norm yeah. OK. And I'm going to ask you one of those sort of annoyingly tricky questions now, because I think the answer is we're not quite sure. But do we know how many illegal schools there are and how many children tend to be in them? Well, we don't. And and not only is it a tricky question, it's a really frustrating question, because you'd think that, you know, in 2022, we really should know. And particularly layer on COVID and, you know, lots of children that you know, we're forced to be absent from school, but those that didn't come back, you know, we just don't know. There isn't a register uh, that, that's nationally available so that we can see uh, the, the number of children that are homeschool educated. Mm. And whilst not exclusively do homeschool educated children end up in an unregistered school, it is one way through and we've 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 clearly identified that through the work that we've done uh since 2016 nobody knows um mm. th these things you know like like walking through many of our high streets you see a pop-up restaurant or a pop-up this or you get these pop-up illegal schools they you know they really are at the top of chip shops and and, and other places uh, in garages the, the one that i referred to where we were very worried about children was 
in an industrial estate, you know, behind one of those big, you know, metal garage doors, you know, I mean, who wants to be educated in in somewhere like that? Nobody knows the answer, I'm afraid, but but we're working really hard and take every opportunity to say to legislators, you you really need to, you know, give us the powers that we need, but you also, you know, need to clarify the legislation on what defines a school and ensure that there is a register available so that we know the likely numbers of schools or certainly children that would be vulnerable to being in one of these schools uh, are. And we've heard, so when we talk about this, sometimes unregistered schools can be referred to as well as illegal schools. So just what's the difference there? Because it can get a bit muddly, can't it? Yeah, I guess it goes back to that definition uh, that I talked about, the, the imprecision of the definition. If somebody really clearly breaks that definition is educating children is giving them a broad education or attempting to and there's more than five children you know this is this is an illegal school there are some schools that are doing you know very small things uh, that are on top of a mainstream education some alternative provision that is specialist that doesn't need to be registered so that's an unregistered school rather than an illegal school so you know the clue is really in the title of illegal um and 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 i I guess it you know it does come down to the precision of the legislation some people also get it all a little bit mixed up with supplementary schools Mm. and a supplementary school is normally uh, of a faith-based nature that is there to, to educate children in the tenets of a particular faith. Uh, they are out of our purview, but I've got to say, you know, there has been occasion where we've been concerned about the creep of the scope of what those supplementary schools are doing. And when a supplementary school starts to, you know, uh, encroach on other educational Uh, aspects of a child's life that's when it starts to creep into being a potential you know illegal school Mm, yeah okay thank you you just touched on um one aspect i was going to ask about actually so we hear quite a lot about unregistered faith schools is it true that you know most unregistered schools are faith-based or is it a bit more of a mix oh it's it's not true uh, actually you know uh, there is a, a relatively a uh, small number of faith-based illegal schools. About a fifth of all of the settings that we inspect in this world have a faith ethos. Uh, and it is a very quick assumption that people will make. And and I guess with that and with some of the frustrations you have, you know, this is a really obvious question to ask, but I would imagine you'd be delighted to be able to cl- just close some of the schools down. So, so why can't we do that? Yeah, well, I, I guess it, it, it comes back to you know, the the legal uh, aspect and what we've done in the team, and I'm sure Sue will talk about this a little bit more, um, is we've recognised that it isn't as simple as we'd all like to think. And maybe back in 2016, we did think it was that simple. Find an unregistered illegal school, um, issue a notice and close it down. But, you know, the tests that you need to go through in order to achieve that prosecution, which in, 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 in essence closes it down, is a very, very high bar. I think mm. it's true to say, a, a lawyer may well correct me, I think it's true to say that this legislation was designed never really to be 
you know, used as a prosecution vehicle. It was really uh, introduced as a deterrent to, to stop people from doing it in the first place. And we soon realised that when we started to have to go through Crown Prosecution Service tests. So we now, our team has been recalibrated to have the inspectors on the front line, but also a team of lawyers that are really versed in in how to collect the evidence that passes the various legal tests. And it's made us better as an organisation. Having said that, Anna, whilst the legal challenge to close something down might be difficult, having a, a bunch of Ofsted inspectors coming along and issuing with you with a notice to say you're doing wrong, cease and desist, uh, is also a very powerful tool. Yeah. And, and, and we, we can celebrate a tremendous amount of success in closing those down by non-legislative means. So, you know, we don't measure our success in how many prosecutions have we managed to get. It's, it's how many of these schools have we managed to stop operating. Yeah, so that's that's really useful. And and I guess uh, so Catherine's going to talk a bit more detail in the podcast later on around some of the specific asks and things that we think should change in legislation. But but you know, just just briefly, what what is helping to to change some of the situation here? What's being done? Yeah, well, I mean, we we can uh, being a civil servant, I understand the wonders of the civil service. Uh, I also understand sometimes the the frustration of the bureaucracy, and I know it's not an easy thing to get new legislation in and to get it changed. Mm. But we've been campaigning for a long time to to get it changed, and we've been working very very positively with uh, uh, with the Department for Education, who are committed to you know enacting new legislation that give us powers that we need, uh, and also clarify. The definitions in a way that I've already outlined. Some of the powers that would really help us is the ability to seize evidence. At the minute, we can't. We can only photograph it. And um, and that's really frustrating, particularly when you do go somewhere and you find that children are being exposed to educational, in inverted commas, material that, that is, is, you know, not appropriate. We can't take it away. All we can do is to photograph it as part of our evidence bundle, walking away, knowing that it's still there. And, and that causes a great deal of frustration. I must also give a really positive shout out in this space to local authorities um, because they, you know, I think we've worked very well with local authorities and they understand the damage that unregistered schools can do. And so they are very quick to alert us to concerns that they may well have. And of course, at their disposal and fingertips, they've got a lot of officers of the local authority that are out on the streets day in, day out, you know, collecting refuse or parking or whatever it might be. And and we found that, you know, by educating their own uh, staff, they can see where there are unusual places that children are seen going into, you know, like in an industrial estate. Um, and and that, that comes back to them and then they come and talk to us. So that's a really good example of, you know, cross-governmental working together for a shared aim and objective. Brilliant. Well, Matthew, that's a really helpful overview. Thanks ever so much for your time. Really helpful. You're very welcome. Take care. Really fascinating stuff there from Matthew. Uh, It's so frustrating that we just don't know how many children are attending these settings. And I agree with what Matthew said. In 2022, we really should know. Yeah, I agree. Next, we're going to listen to one of my favourite interviews so far on the podcast. 
It was so interesting to hear firsthand what it's like to go into these places and what we find when we do. So let's have a listen to my interview with Sue. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. So I've got with me Sue Will from Ofsted's Unregistered Schools team. Sue, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi there. Um, As you said, my name's Sue Will. I'm the senior HMI in the unregistered schools team. I manage the inspectors who conduct the investigations into unregistered schools up and down the country. Excellent. And that's what we're going to talk a bit about, the inspections of unregistered schools that that we carry out. Now, tell me a little bit about how an inspection goes down, because presumably we don't give them a day's notice like we do in a normal school inspection. No, that's right. Absolutely not. So um, Ofsted receives referrals from a number of different sources about unregistered schools come from all sorts of people, members of the public, the police, social services, other schools. Um, And uh, uh, the referral comes in and the staff will um, start an investigation really into what we know about that provision. Um, What we need to to do is to establish whether we have reasonable cause to be able to go in and inspect. So under um, the legislation, Ofsted has powers to enter a premises if we reasonably believe that an uh, an unregistered school may be in in operation. So um, we all carry all sorts, you know, open source searches, find out as much as we can about the setting before we go out. Um, And then, um, as I say, once we've established reasonable cause, um, we go out to the setting unannounced. And then we will turn up, knock on the door to conduct our inspection that day. So, yes, those that we are visiting won't know that we're coming out to see them. And paint a picture for us. So how many inspectors are we are we talking about? What kind of buildings are they turning up to? Um, well, really, that depends on what we can find out about the setting before we go out. Um, if we've been able to establish that um, it's a red, relatively small setting with small numbers of children, then we will, you know, we, we will, you know, decide how many inspectors we want to go accordingly. If, if it's a big site, well, we've been able to work out that there could be a couple of hundred children, then, of course, we w- will extend those numbers. Now, sometimes, of course, we don't know. So, you know, we, we're, we're not able to find out that kind that information so generally I would be sending two inspectors out on most inspections at least two people would be going out and are they are they regular school inspectors or do we give them special training have they got certain backgrounds Okay, so all of our um, staff were originally Ofsted staff, um, but have all received extensive training. Um, Our training is actually conducted um, at the police college. So um, it's a criminal investigation. So all um, investigations need to be conducted under PACE conditions to ensure that when we collect evidence, it's admissible in court. Um, And so we, we, you know, all of our staff have to learn those procedures and to make sure that they adhere to those in order to get if we have to get a case into court that then that, that we you know we are able to do that so is it are we act are we acting a bit like police officers then in that case are we absolutely as i said it's, it's a criminal investigation so if you think about it the end result could be somebody going to prison i mean that's that that, that could be the end result so of course we have to make sure that we've secured that evidence in a way that um, we followed the investigation process thoroughly that as i said all of our evidence is has been collected in a accordance with PACE and we conduct interviews, we take statements. So yes, sort of we're following, uh, you know, we do the type of work that police officers would be doing. 
Yeah. And these places, these settings can be in a variety of buildings, can't they? I don't imagine many of them are in the old Victorian schools that we see around or nice modern uh, new school buildings. Uh, tell us a bit about where these places tend to be. Um, well, I think, I mean, you've we hit the nail on the head there. I think we, we've seen um, settings in all sorts of places, um, ranging from sometimes in school build old school buildings that used to house schools but are no longer fit for purpose. So we've seen um, groups move into places like that. We've been to settings on the industrial sites. Um, we've been to um, I went, once went to a setting inside a caravan. Um, we've been to settings that are being run in domestic premises. So to be honest with you, anywhere where you could, you know, have a roof over your head, probably, you know, you're likely to find um, an, an unregistered school. So I'm interested in the caravan. How were they? How were they running a school within a caravan? So this um, was a setting that we went out to a couple of years ago. Now uh, it was an unregistered AP that was running on farmland, and they had six caravans um, on, on the site where the children were receiving their education. So um, for them to go from one subject to the other, they would have to come outside of one caravan and go into another, cross a muddy field in the rain. Um, so it wasn't really um, probably the best place to be having um, your schooling. No. And so so our, our inspectors turn up, they knock on the door, they press the buzzer to the industrial estate or whatever it is they do. What's the, what's the typical reception that they get? Well, very, it, it differs. There are some people who are doing this who don't actually realise that they're doing anything wrong. You know, they 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 fall into it. Um, maybe they're maybe sometimes that they're good people who want to try and do good things, and they're a bit mistaken, really. And those people generally, when you knock on the door, will tend to invite you in, um, and um, will will welcome you in. Um, and that that that's one that's that's one side, if you like. There are another group of people that you will knock on the door, and they'll hold you at the door. And the reason that they're holding you at the door is because they could be ushering children out of the back door and across the road. Or we've had a situation where children have been ushered through uh, corridors that have been built in between houses so that when now whether they've been put in place for when Ofsted turned up, but certainly there are well rehearsed procedures, I'm going to say, to evacuate children from buildings for when we do turn up. So we have those situations. And then we've had other uh, situations where people have been abusive when we've turned up. Um, we've had inspectors who um, have have been abused and there's been aggression shown towards them and in fact um, in our first year of operating there was a provider who was uh, aggra- sorry who was prosecuted for a racially aggravated offence against one of wow. our inspectors at the time. Uh, so I'm interested in these people that they, they quite clearly know that they're doing something wrong you know if they're if they're holding an inspector at the door so they can get the kids out of the building or hide documents or whatever it is they they know that what they're doing is is not right whether they know it's illegal or not but they know that it's not it's not right don't they 
Absolutely. Um, yes, I mean, as I say, it's, it's it's well rehearsed. But then they're often, you know, once once we get into the setting, they'll be the people who will be less than helpful. I'm going to say, yeah. so they will be the people who won't um, offer to tell you anything about the service that they're offering, who won't offer to tell you the ch- about the children who are at the setting, because one of the things that we would want to do is to get the names and details of the children, because whilst um, Ofsted is there to investigate um, unregistered uh, schooling and we are the only people that have access to these settings so if it's an unregistered setting there isn't anybody else with a statutory duty to be able to go in there so one of you know well say one of the most important roles we have is that we've gone in there we have one chance so if we observe um, concerns for, for the children's safety and well-being we like to make those referrals to the, uh, the those agencies that can do something about it so whether that be the local authority whether that be the fire department or whether that be the police and um, in order to help those children of course we want details about those children their names dates of birth and addresses and so on and so forth and so often those are the people who are not forthcoming with that sort of information who don't want to help us um and i I give you give give, perhaps give you an example of of one case there um as i said trying to get details about the children sometimes is, is is really very difficult um and so you'll put a question in a different way to somebody and I would say to someone um, and and this did happen I said you know you have over uh, 200 children in the setting you must have a list of names I was being told that there wasn't a list on the premises and we said you you must have a list of name of you know of children at at the setting Um, because for fire you know just purely if there was a fire alarm you would want to be able to check those children out and the answer that was given to me was that no list was required because God would make a decision whether those children were going to survive or not. Goodness. So that was really quite quite worrying. Yeah, absolutely. So you're not going in there and doing a, a typical offset inspection then. You're not looking at the quality of education and the personal development and all of that. This is this is about establishing the facts of what's happening in this place. Absolutely. We're going in, as um, as I mentioned at the beginning, to conduct a criminal investigation. So we're looking at evidence to be able to prove one way or another, evidence that's pointing towards an offence that an unregistered school is taking place or evidence that an unregistered school isn't taking place. So, you know, we're the investigator. So, so we're looking for both ways. And do do we get a chance to talk to children very often who attend these places? Most certainly when we're in the settings, we do. I mean, that's that is something that all of the team try and endeavour to talk to the children. Um, again, different provisions act very differently. Sometimes that um, there isn't a problem. You know, sometimes uh, those that are, are in charge are happy for the children to talk to us, and then there are other times where children are actively discouraged to talk to us, um, and and. And we've had I've I've had uh, I've been in settings where I have been engaging in the conversation and an adult has walked into the um, room and has been very angry um, that the fact that I was, you know, that we were attempting to speak to children, ushered children out, raised voices. Um, so, yes, there are there are settings where people will will make it very difficult for us to be able to try you know, to talk to the children at the settings. And is there ever a language barrier? Yes. Yes. Sometimes. Yes, some, some, sometimes there is, you know, absolutely. Do we have interpreters or people that speak that language as inspectors? 
We we don't take um, we 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 haven't taken anybody out with, with us. Um, we've certainly uh, used interpreters to look at some of the evidence that we've been able to secure on some of the the, the visits. But but to date we haven't taken interpreters out with us. Um, we're able, in in terms of what we need to collect on that day. We're able to ascertain whether they're children of statutory school age. Generally by by looking at the children, we can observe what the children are doing. Um, so, so to date, we haven't done that. And, and what happens if you so you if you go into a place, you establish that this is this is essentially an illegal school. It's not safe for the children. Are, you, are we able to do anything about it at that point? Do we just have to walk away? So if um, if if the setting is is unsafe, as, as as I mentioned before, you know we look at it having one chance. So we need to take that opportunity to do everything that we can. Yeah. Um, and and generally we would come away and as I said make those referrals. But there have been occasions where it's been so bad when we've been on site that we've called those um, agencies whilst we're on site and we've asked them to join us. Um, certainly, um, I've been involved in inspections where we. We've called the local authority, for example, and, and said, you need to come down here now. We believe the children are at risk. Can, can you come and join us? Um, members of my team were conducting um, an inspection um, only at the, at the back end of last year where they had to call the local authority and the police to join them because they were worried for the safety of, of, of the young people. And what, um, what's going on in that in that setting? Um, again, uh, information wasn't being shared. We were very, very worried about the premises. Um, some of these buildings, I mean, I, I mentioned to you that, um, you know, the, the different types of buildings, but within those buildings, some of the, the premises that we've seen have been um, really quite bad, um, really um, squalid and dirty uh, with with uh, electric cables falling down, no fire procedures, padlocked fire doors. Mm. Um, so when we've had real, you know, cause for concern about the children's safety, where we haven't wanted to leave the children there, then, then you know, that's when we've called those agencies because we've been happy that they've, you know, rather than coming away and making that referral and then waiting for them to tell us that, that, that they've been there we, we'd rather be there and and, and yeah, meet them when they turn up at, um, at the door and what about parents do we encounter parents what 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 do you think if you put yourself in a position of, of some of these parents what's their what's their motivation for sending children to these places that's that's a really really interesting question it's, it's something that we we all ask ourselves that there's Two different types of provision, as, as, as we've mentioned before. Um, there's the alternative provider, and, and very often, perhaps those parents don't have a choice in it. Perhaps those children are placed at the setting because there isn't anywhere else for them to go. So those parents maybe aren't doing that through choice. You know, they're not they're not choosing to send send the children there. But the other group of uh, the, the other group of settings um, that, that we've spoken about, for, for example, some of the uh, religious settings, those those parents will have actively chosen. And one does have to question why you do that. Some of these buildings, as I've mentioned, to you are cramped, tiny, with no facilities. As I said, dirty. Do you want? You, you know, you do have to think. What? Why would? Why would you do that? Why would you want to keep your children um, out of school, where perhaps the school um, that's just down down the road from where they live, that have the most wonderful things on offer: art rooms, science labs, drama rooms. 
um, gym gymnasiums. Why would you choose to send your child to essentially a broom cupboard? I, I went to a, a setting once that was no larger than a broom cupboard, um, and and the boys were were sat in there having their lessons. So, so you have you do have to wonder. Um, parents have never spoken to us at those settings. Um, it's certainly if if they were present during um, the visit, we would we would try and speak to them. Um, but but often um, when we're conducting our inquiries after a visit, they, they often wouldn't want to talk to us. You know, we, we would try. We would absolutely always try to speak to people, but um, they, they haven't um, often come, you know, haven't taken up on, on our offer um, for questions. But but it is something that we you know continually ask ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it must be a fairly compelling um, you know, religious or cultural reason that's behind that decision, mustn't it? Mm -hmm. Because like you say, that's a big, that's a big trade-off to have to make, you know, to send your mm -hmm. child to some of these places that, that, you know, they must know are, are, are not, are not actually suitable for, for children to be. Yeah. And, and sometimes you want, as I say, you, you go into these settings, which are really, it's heartbreaking, I have to, you know, say mm. to you, here we are, 2022 in some of the biggest cities um, and, and, and children are in, sometimes I describe it as Dickensian, rows of tables with broken chairs and, 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 and are sat there. And, and, and why would you do that? And, and how let down they must feel, you know, that they won't be able to compete with their peers. They often will have gone through this system and, then, you know, they're, they're not having what you and I would consider a formal education. They're not taking examinations at the end of it. We're, we're, they're not being prepared for life. Um, you know, they must feel very let down. Um, so, so yes, it, the, the question is, why would you do that? So, tell me a bit about what happens after the inspection. Then, so the inspectors have have gathered their evidence. They've got the, the the paperwork that they can that they can establish. What? Where do they go next? Well, if one, if during the the, the inspection is is a small part of an investigation, I'm going to say right. that's something you that you do as as part of um, an investigation. But if when we're out on site, we identify that there is evidence to suggest that a non-registered school is running, then we would serve a warning notice to the person in charge who we identify as being the person in charge. And the warning notice sets out the legislation and it explains that um, you should cease operating as you are at the moment. And then um, we will come away and we will carry on with further inquiries. That may be all sorts of things, whether, you know, depending on what we found on site. But that often that visit will open up a, a lot of other avenues that, that we need to um, explore as part of the investigation. Uh, sometimes we'll go back and um, we'll, we'll go back and, and and, and sometimes the, the 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 people who have fallen into this by accident that didn't really mean it to turn into an unregistered school they'd done it sort of unknowingly they will have be the people who have changed their ways who have made sure that they are now um, complying with the law um, and then there are others who haven't who you know who are carrying on um in the way that that we found them you know at, at the first visit and um it's that stage where we have to consider what to do next because obviously to prosecute somebody for running an unregistered school is i'm going to say our last resort we'd rather do things without prosecuting people yeah. um but you know when we've found you know some of these dreadful conditions that i've told you about where we've warned p 
people that it is an offence. Um, sometimes we're left with no other option but to prosecute them. So um, we then work with um, the Crown Prosecution Service to put together a case file with a view of um, prosecution. And what, how, how difficult a process is, is that? Kind of, uh, do, do we need kind of super high standards of evidence to, to get the the Crown Prosecution Service to, to take that on? We we work to a very high level, yes. We work yeah. um, and um, we collect um, our ev evidence uh, mainly in the form of photographs. Mm -hmm. um, currently, that's that's how we um, collect our evidence. Um, and yes, we, we pull together our case files um, that are um, scrutinised, reviewed and um, se several times over to be able to put this, this case file together. Um, that is ultimately, of course, signed off by the Secretary of State um, and then uh, taken forward by the Crown Prosecution Service, the complex case unit of the, the Crown Prosecution Service um, in court. It does sound complex. Uh, the inspectors wear, wear cameras, don't they? Is that, yes. is that so that they can gather evidence? Is that for their safety? Why yeah. is that? That's, well, we use um, body-worn video camera for two purposes. And the first is the evidence, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, first-hand evidence. You can then see it. You, it's it's it, it's there. Um, and, and, and really, there's no argument there in terms of what, what you can see. But yes, you're right. For, for inspe inspector safety, as I, you know, as I mentioned to you before, sometimes we're uh, met in um, fairly hostile uh, situations and it is hoped um, that if someone is being filmed on camera they're less likely to do something that, that they shouldn't do so um, so Sue presumably we we do go into some places and and conclude that they are in fact operating completely lawfully do we um, absolutely. Well, to, to gain entry, is, it, it, um, as I mentioned earlier on, we have to have reasonable cause to believe. Yeah. So as long as we've got our reasonable cause, we can we can go in there. And that's because we believe that there's likely to be a school there. But after we've conducted that inspection um, and we've we've, uh, you know, observed the setting, we've we've uh, collected evidence, um, we may establish as, uh, um, that a, a school isn't operating. Yeah. And if that is the case, we will thank those that, who are in charge for their time, thank them for their co cooperation, because they generally are the people, of course, that will cooperate. Yeah. And 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 then, and then we go on our way. Sue, that's been fascinating. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Okay, thank you. Wow, Chris, that was really interesting. It must be quite intimidating for our inspectors turning up at these places, not entirely sure what they will find. Yeah, but it's such important work. As Sue said, often we're the only people who get access to these places. Yeah, let's listen to my interview with Catherine, where we talked about what might make that role easier. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Hello, Catherine. Thanks so much for coming and chatting to us today. Um, can you just introduce yourself a little bit before we get started? Sure, yeah. So I'm um, Catherine Street. I'm a senior policy officer in the unregistered schools team. Great. And you're going to talk to us a little bit about the kind of what next, what would be helpful in terms of us being able to tackle this problem better. So I'm going to start off. I mean, it's not a small question, but really helpful for your take on it. So if we could just start off and I'm going to ask, what changes do we need to make it easier to tackle illegal schools? Sure. So um, we need legislative change um, in three areas. So we're asking the Department of Education to make kind of um, 
changes to the law around unregistered schools. So firstly, we need better registration requirements. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, there are a couple of loopholes in the registration requirements, which means that some places which, you know, I would think of as a school mm -hmm. don't technically count as schools. And so that means that they don't have to register and the unregistered schools team can't really do anything about them. Um, secondly, we need better investigation powers. So we need to be to help us to do more thorough investigations and to gather all of the evidence we need to find out if an illegal school is, is being is operating or to uh, and if we do think there is one operating to gather the evidence we need better investigation powers and then lastly just to make sure that when if we have prosecuted someone if someone has been found guilty of running an illegal school the courts and the magistrates have the right sentencing options available to them which means that they can't just carry on as they were before um, so those are the kind of three areas of change that we really want the Department for Education um, to make as soon as they can. So their next yeah. kind of the next opportunity they have to change legislation, we think this should be definitely be on their agenda. Yeah, great. That's really helpful overview. And we really are so limited, aren't we, on what we can do at the moment. So, yeah, that's really helpful, yeah. Catherine. Um, so in terms of can you, can you just talk us a bit through what the current registration requirements are and, and why they're inadequate? Sure. So um, most places that offer full time education to children, um, so it's four or more children um, or children, either one child who's looked after or has um, an education, health or care plan, mm -hmm. they have to register. Right. But there are a couple of loopholes in the law, which mean that, that places that we, we would think of as, as a school, don't actually have to register as a school. Mm. So, you know, our inspectors will go into these settings and they'll see places where that are kind of running Monday to Friday during school hours, lots of children. These are educational places. Yeah, it's a they, school, right? It's, it's a school. school. Yeah. Teachers, <laughs> classrooms, it's a yeah. school. And um, But because of this loophole um, around the curriculum that they teach or the content of the education, it means that they don't, they don't, they're not required to register at the moment. And so even if our inspectors see things that we find really concerning, and, and we have seen places with, with really where we don't think the education looks like it's very good, where we have kind of their safeguarding or health health and safety problems, um, they don't have to register because they, they're not delivering a suitable education, which is, which is the language in legislation. So we just need the Department of Education to close that loophole. And that's a real priority for us to make sure that we can move these children into places that are legal and, and safe and have some oversight of them. And then there's another issue around um, defining what is full-time. So we just need a bit more clarity in the law to make sure that anywhere that's providing um, all or almost all of a child's education counts as a school as well. So it's less kind of tied to particular number of number of hours and more about if if it's a place that's really taking the function of a school. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not talking about places that are supplementary to schools. So we're not mm -hmm. concerned about football clubs, you know, morning yeah. prayer groups before school, Sunday schools, music lessons. These are places that are really taking the place of the school and, and, and we think they should all have to be registered. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. So that's the kind of sizable the first step. Next, in terms of investment investigation and prosecution what would make that easier because that's quite often where we come in right yeah so um so when we have reasonable cause to believe a school's operating um and this isn't kind of your average Ofsted school inspection at all no, these are only no, no. <laughs> these are just criminal investigations mm. um and when we think a school might a legal school might be operating we have a, have reasonable cause we need the right powers to mean that we can um, gather the evidence, evidence once we're in the setting. So, for example, to search, that's kind of the basis of most of our investigations. We need to be able to apply for search warrants. Mm -hmm. It's not something we can do at the moment. Um, so we can do those those real, really thorough searches so we can have the police with us when it's appropriate, when it's necessary. And then we also want to be able to seize evidence. So this is actually something that other parts of Ofsted who also conduct these criminal investigations can already do. Mm -hmm. So they, they can seize evidence on, um, for example, in early years in social care when they're doing those criminal investigations 
with the school with the illegal schools investigations we can't at the moment so we just want mm-hmm. those those same powers to be able to seize evidence again something we would only use when it's appropriate um we wouldn't kind of be just taking every piece of paper that we could find <laughs> yeah. yeah um we also want to be able to require information so we can mm-hmm. ask for information about the setting um, and that has two purposes, really. So firstly, to be able to help us to gather the evidence, as I've talked about before. And also, we want to be able to gather information about the children so that we can um, pass that information on to the local authorities to help them with their safeguarding role. So that's also something that's really important to us, to be able to safeguard the children in these settings that don't have any kind of formal oversight and that in many cases are, are illegal. Um, and yeah. we also want a bit of an extension of what's called the prosecution time limit. So we have six months to prepare a case at the moment and we want to increase that to 12, yeah. which we'd use when we needed to. Uh, we would still try and do it as quickly as possible because we really want these, these places shut down as soon, mm. as, we, as soon as we can. But sometimes we do need a little bit of extra flexibility. Yeah, um, yeah. No, that makes sense. And that bit about requiring the information, you know, we talk so much, don't we, about the importance of sharing information, especially when they're safeguarding, you know, how, how do other agencies work together to ensure they're all working in the best interests of children? I think that bit exactly. particularly, you know, would help close that loophole, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and we want to know who the children are on this, uh, at the setting. So if, if mm. we can ask an adult to give us that information, particularly because some, some places in main, often in urban areas, well, there'll be children from more than one local authority. So we yeah. can tell the local authority where the setting is, but we that doesn't mean that, that um, all of the children will have kind of the right local authority um, informed mm-hmm. and that information will be given to the, to the right people. So if we, if we know who the children are, ideally where they live, then we can pass that on. Yeah, great. Okay, brilliant. So then we kind of come to the last step, which is prosecution and then what happens afterwards so can you explain just a little bit about how we prevent these schools from carrying on after a prosecution because some do don't they mm-hmm. you know we, we know it's a yeah problem. yeah I, th- I think before we kind of started our prosecutions we, we somewhat naively thought that once we prosecuted mm-hmm. a, a place it would, it would close that. and yeah. yeah that's that yeah. exactly um, but we found that that hasn't so we've, we've we've done six prosecutions so far and um, two of those were the same place twice um, because we prosecuted them once, the, the the individuals got kind of fines, community service order, you know, found guilty, basically carried on, and so we had to go through the whole process again. So what we want is that it is for us to is for magistrates, sorry, and for courts to have the right sentencing options. So if they can um, hand down a sentence that prevents the person from carrying on running that setting or or, or similar settings, um, it means that that that's the sentence they're given that we could monitor that properly. And and we we you know that would that should kind of close these places down and mean that the children can can move on to to proper schools to to legal registered places, yeah. um to to a legal setting where um somebody's looking at their education someone's looking at yeah. their um their safeguarding the all the important checks that are made in registered settings children are in settings that have those checks which yeah. I think every child deserves yeah um, no I'd, I'd really agree. Um, well, thank you. That was a bit of a whistle-stop tour, I realise. You know, there's three big areas there we're asking for change, but they feel vital, really, don't they, in, in making sure mm-hmm. that we can continue to keep children safe and provide them with the education and care they deserve. Exactly. Thank you. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Well, Chris, I have really enjoyed the opportunity to discuss this hidden part of Ofsted's work in a bit more detail. Yeah, me too. And I've got to say that I'm sure we will keep banging on the government's door for the powers we need to help us investigate these places and ultimately to help these children get a good and safe education. Yeah, exactly this. Yes. Thanks for listening today, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and please do go back and listen to our previous episodes if you haven't already. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) 